Hi everyone. I just wanted to drop a quick little message at the start of the episode. Unfortunately, I forgot that I wouldn't have enough time to edit the episode and send it to our sound consulting and mixing engineer Sean before he had to leave town for a trip. I know, he's my husband. I should have realized. Whoops. My excuse is that it was the end of the semester and everything was coming at me at once. I kind of lost track of it all. Anyway, what that means is that the audio production quality is not up to our usual standards. I had to figure out a way to get the intro and outro music to work with everything, and I don't know how to make the subtle adjustments to levels that he does to make us sound just right. So if you notice anything different with this episode, that's on me. Please be patient with us and know that our next episode will be back up to par. Thanks for your understanding, and we hope you enjoy this episode. judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized i'm kimberly and i'm rebecca join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations welcome back hey everybody welcome back oh here we go I don't even know where we're going. Where, what are we up to? I don't I don't know. We were uh, recording two episodes tonight. We are. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. I, I teased it on Twitter the other day. It got a lot of retweets. I'm like, who are these people? I like them. Uh, yeah, it was very exciting. Uh, yes. We've got two awesome episodes coming out this mm-hmm. month. You've got today's episode on Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of June, happy pride. Woo. We will have Marsha P. Johnson. Yes. So that's exciting. Stay tuned. Yes, absolutely. But I'm just personally happy to be done with my semester. Like it. it, Listen, I love my students and I had a Mm -hmm. great batch of students this semester. Like really, really good. But it was the first semester fully back in person. 100%, not hybrid. And so it was just. I, I was tired. Was the energy like different from before? I feel like people maybe were like a little apprehensive. Well, one of my classes was at 7.50 in the morning. So Ugh. the energy in that class was always pretty low, but I did my best. <laughs> I don't know why. And I would I would sign up for that class. I was like, I don't know why anybody would sign up for that. But I was like, I'm a get it done person. Well, so like I would sign up for that class. Yeah, there were some people I had in the class that would like leave from class and go straight to work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or... um. I think sometimes freshmen will sign up for those classes because they're so used to having to get up. High school, yeah. Yeah. I had one year, um, I had classes from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I did them all in one day. Like, I had four classes that day. I did did that once, too, but... Yeah. I I did them, like, Tuesday and Thursday, and then the rest of the week I worked. And who, who provided the energy for that? Because now, I can't, like go out for a drink after work sometimes i'm so (laughs) tired yeah and i was just like i have two jobs and an internship and school who who was she is she okay okay. she was a 20 something year old yeah (laughs) she's me now and me is tired me is very tired but speaking of jobs okay drum roll I got a promotion at work yes you did congratulations so excited I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to like work with a new team. I'm sad that I'm like not going to work with my old team, but it's good. 
I'm excited for it. I'm still at NYU, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to do something different for like I've been in that position for three years, and like I'm very excited to like start doing different things. It's it's gonna be fun, and that means also like I'm switching campuses, so I'll be like not technically closer to home, but like I'll be in Brooklyn, in the right borough. In the right borough, but like that also means like I won't ever leave. I won't ever go to Manhattan. You know what? There's so many Manhattan people who like don't do boroughs. You know what? It's our turn to not do Manhattan. No, but like there's (laughs) like so the one thing is like I don't often like go out for lunch because like I'm poor and I make it myself. But when I do, like there's really good options by me right now. And like in Brooklyn, there's like not good options. So like I'm bummed for that. Like I'll have to bring my lunch because there won't be anything that's how i feel at baruch like there are some good places around but there's so much effort to get to like Mm. i have to go down the elevator and out and then like i don't know i just by the time a couple blocks yeah i'm like i don't have that time to waste exactly like by the time you do all that like i only get an hour for lunch like then it's over you know I get whatever I want for lunch, but oh. <laughs> fancy. But I tend to eat lunch and work at the same time because oh, I I've got enough stuff to do. Don't I sit in the dark in my office and watch something on TV? But you also you can like oh fancy you don't get a. I also only get paid for the hours I'm in the classroom. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> I just realized I'm not going to have an office anymore. Ooh, weird. I have an office. No, because they have, um, it's like an open floor plan, but also like we don't go in every day and you have to like sign up for where you're going to sit. And I realize I don't know how to do any of that. I'll figure it out next week, but you'll learn boss lady. I will learn. I'm not, not, not boss lady. <laughs> I'm getting there, but I'm not boss there yet. ass bitch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. What else is going on? Oh, I'm like, I have all this news. Um, I'm also learning how to drive a car. By the time this comes out, I may or may not have my driver's license. All right. I'll let I'll let everybody know on the day. All right. I I'm don't even worried. Know. I mean, I guess you grew up in, in Brooklyn. You didn't really have a need to drive. No, but so. now I married this guy who has a license and is all like, let's go on road trips and you should help. So... You know, I do most of the driving when we go on any sort of car trip. Mm-hmm. One, because I get car sick, but two, oh. two because Sean got his license very late. Not even as late as you. And so he doesn't... The shade. But <laughs> not even as late as you, you old bitch. <laughs> but what I was going to say and why I think it might be relevant to you is that he does not like to drive. Oh, I don't He will think I only will do it when I need him to. Like if I'm too tired or if yeah. I've been driving for six hours and I need a, like a little break or something, he does not like to drive. He'll do it. Yeah. But I, he doesn't like it. I think I like it. Um, I don't know. I've been like, I don't test well, so I'm really nervous that I'm going to just implode. But like I've been doing my parallel parking. I've been doing my K-turns. Got my speed good. Like, I'm I'm doing well. Like, I, I've had um, the driving school that I go to. I've had, like, three different driving instructors. But, like, I do regular lessons with them. And the one of them is, like, really, like, stoic. He doesn't give a lot of compliments. And the other day, I did, like, a parallel park. And he goes, hmm, very good. Very good. And I was like, yes. Yeah. I did it. But that also- is one skill that they did not really focus on in suburban driver's ed. 
but it I is got, key yeah. here. Oh, yeah. You and I, I think I'm getting really good at it. But I'm also nervous that like if you hit the curb, you fail. What's what's the curb made out of? Like, I don't understand why. What's so important about the curb? Why would I fail from that? And I feel like you could easily hit the curb. And I don't know. I'm really in my head about it. Get out of your head. Not. I don't know. I've taken the road test as a as a child, which I have to remind myself. I took it when I was sixteen. I failed three times when I was sixteen. So I'm just like, well, I'm just gonna continue that. But like, I'm but a whole not. like. It's been like fifteen years. Like I gotta just do it. Girl, it's been twenty years. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a math scientist. I can barely drive a car. That's what we need a t-shirt for. I'm not a math scientist. <laughs> a lot of great t-shirt ideas we should get them going oh speaking of getting going we should get this episode going in this episode we are going to discuss the one and only norma jean mortensen aka marilyn monroe we're gonna dive into some of the struggles she encountered while trying to establish her career and the battles she had to fight with the media the film industry and more then we'll cover the realities behind her experiences including her on and off screen personas her health and well-being and her relationships with different men We'll wrap it all up by discussing her legacy, both personal and professional. Just some trigger warnings for sexual abuse, drug use, and suicide. Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st. In- today. Yes. Today. I mean, today when it comes out, not today, today when, when we're recording. <laughs> yeah, this episode will be out in honor of her birthday on June 1st. Gemini Squad oh yeah my birthday's on monday (laughs) happy birthday to me happy belated yeah from when this comes out but happy early from when we're recording yes i mean this is clearly all about this is the episode about kim gemini's like to make it about themselves wow you are (laughs) no you are like central park today because you are shady you've been throwing so the shade one of my, my favorite podcasts mm-hmm. and that's why we drink both of the hosts are gemini's and they oh. always have like a whole thing their birthdays are like one or two days apart from each other i love that and they do a whole like it's always about them and mm-hmm. their birthdays and they always talk about how it's like i never thought about gemini's that way until i listened to them talk about themselves that way Man, so i'm a gemini and an only child do i ever let anybody talk about themselves <sighs> See, okay, last <laughs> last thing, and then we'll get back to Norma Jean. My husband is also a Gemini, and he's born like two days after me, which I find so funny. Also on the same day as my mom. Random. But he's not someone who talks about himself a lot. My mom is someone who talks about herself a lot. I don't know. Anyway, you know who should have talked about herself more? Norma Jean. She was born June 1st in 1926 to Gladys Pearl Baker and Martin Edward Mortensen in Los Angeles, California. However, the marriage between Gladys and Martin only lasted a few months. They divorced. He split, leaving Gladys to care for Norma Jean alone. There were lots of rumors that he wasn't her actual father. A man named Charles Stanley Gifford was most likely Marilyn Monroe's biological father, but he worked at a movie studio and he had a really brief affair with her mother, so... He wasn't there. He doesn't matter. Gladys herself was not financially prepared for this baby, and the two of them spent the first few months of Norma Jean's life in a foster home. The couple was really kind, and they actually allowed Gladys to spend the time with her as well so she could bond and raise her daughter there. But the couple lived in a super rural area, and Gladys soon needed to return to work in the city. She did see Norma Jean on the weekends, but she wasn't there every day. Things were going well, and Gladys saved up enough to buy a house. When Norma was seven, the two of them lived together in Hollywood. 
The reunion was short-lived, though, as Gladys started to experience breaks with reality and was hospitalized after having a mental breakdown. Uh, unfortunately, she never left the hospital again. How much do you think a house costs in 1926? I don't know. Like, a little? Like, yeah, like, 10 bucks and, like, a hug. <laughs> 10,000 in Hollywood? I don't know. Maybe. I have no idea. I'm... No, I'm going to Google. Whatever. Let's get back to it. Well, after this, responsibility for Norma Jean fell on Gladys's best friend, Grace McKee. The two had been the two had been negative cutters at a film laboratory like like the film reels. Yeah, like the yeah, the reels. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing like a hand thing, but you can't see that. I was trying to see if we could even hear it. I'm going to I'm going to amp that up. So Oh, no, it's ASMR now. Sorry. (laughs) It was Aunt Grace, as Norma Jean called her, who first encouraged her to believe that she was destined to be a star. Grace was really the only person in the child's life who seemed to take any interest. However, despite her love for her friend Gladys and little Norma Jean, Grace wasn't able to provide. Norma Jean bounced from family friend to family friend before ending up at the Los Angeles Orphans Home. Grace came to visit her every Saturday, and she would take Norma Jean on trips to the movies. During these trips, Norma Jean would develop her love for acting and film. The trips became an escape from the foster home and the reality that she lived in during the week. The years of shuffling from foster home to friend of the family were pretty traumatic for Norma Jean, and she never really learned to settle down. But also because there were many encounters of sexual abuse at the hands of cousins foster parents and other individuals that she was supposed to trust to take care of her by the time norma jean was 11 aunt grace was married and in a better position to take care of her norma jean joined her family this only lasted for a few years as grace's new husband had a bit of a habit of getting drunk and molesting norma jean grace had a choice to make and she opted to relocate norma jean looking to avoid an orphanage again grace placed norma jean with her elderly aunt anna It worked for about five years until Aunt Anna's health issues became unmanageable. Norma Jean was then 16 with no place to go. While Grace's husband had just accepted a job offer in another state, there wasn't really a place for Norma Jean with them either. Grace's plan was to marry Norma Jean off to James Doherty, the boy next door, and a son to her good friend Ethel Doherty. Many years later, Marilyn bluntly recounted the background to this marriage. Grace McKee Goddard arranged a marriage for me. I never had a choice. They couldn't support me, and they had to work out something. And so I got married. Which is, like, a terrible situation, but not such a terrible plan. But when you don't have other options, but, like, also we're talking 1940s, right? Yeah, like, part of me really wants to be like, fuck you, Grace. Like, why would you stay with this dude? But also, did she have any money? Did she have anything at all? Like, she might have had to stay with him because she had nothing of her own. Right. It was the 30s at this point. No, 40s. Yeah, because the two were married in 1942. So James was worried about marrying somebody so young. She was 16 and he was 20. But she had shared some of the horrors of the foster homes that she was placed in. And he felt guilty about putting her back there. Love that. Nothing like a good old guilt marriage. Honestly, marriage was the only plan. And Norma Jean was pretty and sweet. So he was fine with it. In an interview with A&E Biography, Doherty speaks very highly of Norma Jean. He says, It was great. She was a good wife. She was a good cook. An immaculate housekeeper. And I think she enjoyed being married. I feel like the bar was really low back then. (laughs) Can you cook? 
do you not mind, you know, never working again? Are you pretty? Are you pretty? Well, she was all of those. She was all of those. Good for her. But here comes World War II, and off James goes into battle. Norma Jean, like most of the other housewives of the time, went to help however they could. She went to work for a parachute factory, which sounds like fun. I, I don't I think mean, you I imagine they were out, making them, I right? Know. Yeah. No, I mean... I didn't think it was like, you know, I didn't kindergarten think- where you could like run underneath the parachute. <laughs> but like, you're just like stuffing the parachute in there. I don't know. It sounds like of all the jobs, like I don't want to make. I don't know. Bullets. I'm really bad at sewing, so I don't think I would like this. But I'm glad she had something that she was able to True. help with. I just realized, like, I don't know how you would make a parish. I'm picturing like just shoving a big thing into a backpack. And that's probably not how you make parachutes. <laughs> What's my job? I'm not a parachute scientist. So. <laughs> I don't, I don't That's why that we need a, a whole series of t-shirts. I'm not a this kind of scientist. <laughs> I just want to watch on YouTube like how people make parachutes now. I'm interested. All right. Anyway, so Norma Jean was off making parachutes and James was in war. At this time, she was asked to pose for an army photographer. So the photos were intended to boost morale for the troops, which really to me was just like, it's bank material that they would send overseas. Yeah, it's icky, but. It's icky, but it's a living. <laughs> <laughs> so this photo like it worked out for her so the photo led to a modeling contract with the blue book modeling agency so modeling was basically a conversation away from acting and that's what norma jean wanted to do anyway so she formulated a plan now doherty wasn't thrilled about this and he told her that when he got home she was going to have to make a choice acting or being a wife well after james came back to the states in 1944 the two ended their four-year marriage and norma jean became Marilyn Monroe. By 1946, Norma Jean had dyed and straightened her brown curly hair in favor of a platinum blonde, so she was more marketable. Her modeling agency was going for a pinup girl look, and it was working, as she graced the covers of at least 35 magazines. So acting was ultimately her goal. The modeling was just paying the bills in the meantime. Monroe was interviewing for different studios and not having any luck. So way back in the day, actors would work exclusively for one studio rather than on an individual project like now. Right. So when you worked for a studio, they gave you a script and you did the movie. That was it. It was steady work, but it didn't leave a lot of room for creative freedom. So we'll circle back to that later. But Norma Jean ended up landing a contract uh, with 20th Century Fox, but it was only for six months. Mm -hmm. It was during this time that her stage name was decided. The first name was picked by Ben Lyon, a Fox executive. He thought that she looked like a Broadway star at the time named Marilyn Miller. Norma Jean selected the last name of Monroe as it was her mother's maiden name. Now, during these first six months, she learned to sing, dance, and act. She attended the Actors Laboratory Theater, and while she loved learning, she really was only getting bit parts. She played a waitress in the film Dangerous Years in 1947, and that was followed by many uncredited screen appearances. But sadly, her contract was not renewed. Teachers at the Actors Lab and other Fox executives noted that Monroe was sweet, but way too shy. So back to modeling she went. Just before leaving Fox, she formed a friendship with the head of production, Joseph M. Skink. I'm not going to comment on that last name, but <laughs> here we go. There were rumors and speculation about this relationship. He was an older man who took her under his wing. Marilyn became a regular fixture at his parties and poker games. 
She was 21 and he was in his 60s. Some saw the relationship as mentor and mentee and others say it was sexual. There's really no way to know. So we do know that he was able to get her another six month contract with Columbia Pictures in 1948. There surely had one role, though. It was the lead in a musical called Ladies of the Chorus. But again, this was a really short contract and it wasn't renewed. But Marilyn did make a lifelong friend. She was one of the few people to visit Skank on his deathbed in 1957. So Monroe went back to modeling yet again. Money was tight and gigs were few and far between. In 1949, a broke and jobless Marilyn Monroe posed nude for pinup photographer Tom Kelly in exchange for $50. She needed to make a car payment and rent and was out of choices. Uh, we talked about this before. We did. We talked about it in our uh, our like episode on uh, rape culture. Not rape culture. Uh, revenge porn. Revenge porn, yes. But okay, so like if she, the $50 helped with a car payment and rent, how much were houses? 10000 I don't know. I want to find out. Like I want to find out right now, but we're, we're working on something. We're busy. So Marilyn Monroe sat down with Kelly to vet him. She even made his wife come to the shoot. So like no funny business could go down. Respect. Aside from the funny business, there was another risk. At the time, many studios had a morality clause. Nude pictures popping up would have been an issue, but she didn't currently have a contract and she wasn't even sure she was going to get one again. Monroe signed a fake name. She signed Mona Monroe, took her cash and never looked back. They'll never figure me out if I put Mona Monroe. She just twirls a little mustache and like skedaddles out. (laughs) At this time, another older man came into her life. Johnny Hyde, the vice president of the William Morris Agency. She became his protege and client. Hyde had Monroe undergo minor plastic surgery. Love it. Great. Good guy. Mm. Her nose. Well, I feel like that's sometimes... It's not something you gotta do, but it's common. Like, how many, like, celebrities have we seen, like, their old nose, and then later we see, like, Kristen Wiig started SNL with a different nose than she ended it. Jennifer Aniston, different I just, nose. I don't know. I mean, it makes I you like my nose. I, Your nose is That's adorable. the thing that bothers me. I like my nose. Yeah, no, it's cute. But, like, I also hate capitalism so like having to change your nose for capitalism yeah. bothers me and that that's that's all i'm stuck on i'm sorry like you know what she wouldn't look the way we remember her necessarily True. but I just, but she was still really pretty before the plastic surgery that's what i'm saying yeah. but um i feel like it's less capitalism and more patriarchy because it's why like why not you both got, why not <laughs> you gotta look good for the men and men don't like your chin way it looks right Jeez. now <laughs> Well, Monroe's nose and chin were both altered. And once she was healed, Hyde had her take new headshots and he gave them to everyone with influence. Under his wing, she was able to land bigger roles. She appeared in The Asphalt Jungle in 1950 and All About Eve, also 1950. Not only were the roles bigger, the cast, writers, and directors were all A-listers. So this same year, Johnny left his family and moved into a new home. Marilyn was a frequent guest, only fueling rumors. While she loved him, and she told people so, she said she wasn't in love with him, but they were like best friends. She respected him and enjoyed his company. He constantly begged her to marry him over and over again, especially as his health worsened, saying that she would inherit his millions. But she declined. When Joseph Skink, who we spoke about before, her first mentor and Hollywood friend, asked what would she have to lose by marrying him, she answered, myself. Ooh. Ooh. 
I hope she just like walked out of the room after that. Right? <laughs> I'm just, just so saying. perfect. Myself closes door. Like that Viola talk Davis to the meme. Hand. It sounds like a talk to the hand moment, but like that just aged me. I don't care. It did, but also this is like this was the 40s. So yeah, like, I maybe. know that was before talk to the hand. <laughs> no, I think the Viola's you know the Viola's Davis meme where she like picks up her bag and like leaves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that is what I feel like happened. Myself totally. and then like picks up bag. Boom. Walks out. Honestly, Marilyn had left a marriage to pursue acting, so she wasn't about to tie herself down again, right? She had a goal, and she wasn't going to be stopped. After declining dozens of proposals, she heard rumors of Hyde mentioning her as his fiancé or wife, so she moved out. Smart. Yeah. Hyde continued to help her career, though, and used the success of The Asphalt Jungle and All About Eve to negotiate a seven-year contract for Monroe with 20th Century Fox. Just a few days after securing the contract, unfortunately, Hyde died of a heart attack at 55 years old. Marilyn was devastated. In an interview with Hollywood Life Stories, she spoke of how much she loved him. She said, I was terribly lucky in meeting a man who would become not only my agent, but my dearest friend. When I first mentioned my acting hopes to Johnny Hyde, he didn't smile. He listened rapidly and said, of course, you can become an actress. He was the first person who took my ambition seriously. And my, my gratitude for this alone is endless. I like that. Yeah, me too. In 1951, Monroe's career started to pick up as she starred in two films for Fox back to back. They were both loved by critics and fans. However, Monroe felt that she was starting to be typecast as the sexy, dumb blonde. And I think we... We get that even today and how she's depicted a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. These roles lack depth and she she disliked them quite a bit. You know, her third film for Fox, Don't Bother to Knock, was different. Monroe starred as a mentally disturbed babysitter. Now, this was her first dip into heavier and more dramatic roles. She loved the work, but received mixed reviews from critics and the studio who said she was just a little too inexperienced. She took this feedback and started working with a new acting coach. Monroe was dead set on bettering herself to earn more developed roles. In early 1952, Marilyn got set up on a date with a retired New York Yankees baseball player, Joe DiMaggio. The two were smitten and they began dating. Things were going great for Marilyn. She's seeing this cool guy. The studio's actually giving her work. It feels like it's time for a curveball, right? Oh. That's not a curveball. That's a drum roll. <laughs> Well, I can't make the sound of a curve. Whoosh. Whoosh. <laughs> so remember those nude photos that she posed for when she was broke and jobless? They became part of a calendar that somehow became very popular. I mean, they're nude photos of women. Why is it surprising that it became popular? Because I right? feel like maybe they weren't the dime a dozen they are now. Ah, So maybe it was like there was like two calendars like this and everybody was like, hubba, hubba, we got to get them all. <laughs> Hubba, 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 I'm hubba. just seeing like the eyes pop out. Like, the- <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. please leave that in. Okay, I will. Hey, so these calendars became super popular, and now Marilyn found herself having to address why was she nude? The studio wanted her to lie, like flat out say that the woman was not her. Wow. Marilyn couldn't lie for a couple of reasons. One, she didn't think that she had anything to be ashamed of. That's right. She didn't. That's right. Mm -hmm. Two, she knew that this would just follow her if she lied. They would constantly be like, are you sure that's not you? Because that really looks like you. But what about that picture? What what about her emails? 
What about her what? Her emails. Oh. <clears throat> that was a joke for today. Yeah. Um, I'm dating myself now. <laughs> so Marilyn did a little sneaky bit of business. She reached out to reporters and she told them the truth. Oh, so sneaky. <laughs> she was broke. She met with the photographer and his wife. The wife was there, so she felt safe. She did what she had to do. And then she would ask the reporters for advice, making it seem like less of a story and more of a person that they should be helping. Yeah, I like that. It's the sympathy card, baby. So the strategy worked. It gained public sympathy and it increased interest in her films. By 1953, the scandal was forgotten and Monroe was one of the hottest stars of the time. Well, in 1953, Monroe starred in three of the most popular films of the year. One of them was Niagara, where she played a murderous femme fatale and really honed in on her dramatic acting skills. However, it was overtly sexy and it was filled with scenes of Monroe wearing only a towel or a sheet. Mm hmm. By 1953 standards, this was smut. I mean, this is the height of the Hayes Code, right? Yeah, they did have to like tone it down a bit, but there's still like ridiculous things. Like there's a, uh, the film includes a very famous scene that's just a 30 second long shot of Marilyn Monroe walking away with her hips swaying. Ooh, scandal. Well, I mean, people did think it was scandalous back then because she had like, because men wiggle. can't control themselves and a little hip sway makes them immediately it's ejaculate. <laughs> <laughs> Movie theaters sound disgusting. <laughs> Why is this floor sticky? What is no! happening? <laughs> oh, God. So while Niagara established Marilyn as a sex symbol, her next film made sure that people thought she was just a dumb blonde. Yeah, the second film of 1953 was the satirical musical comedy Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. The name alone is like, huh. It just, just, I mean, in terms of her yes. being like typecast as a dumb blonde. Monroe played one half of a team of gold digging show performers. She sings and dances and is ditzy. Her character doesn't like to wear her glasses. Oh, no. Sorry, I just, I, men writing women, it drives me crazy. <laughs> So she spends a a lot of time walking into walls. This movie is actually really funny. Like her comedic timing is put on display here. So like, please go watch it. Okay. But the issue is that I think it it was satire. And the people in 1953 were just like, this girl's dumb. Look how dumb she is. She's playing a dummy in this movie. But like the joke is that she's dumb. The joke of her... Being too vain to wear her glasses to the point where she's falling all over the place is hysterical. And she does it so well. But the people at the time were just like, I told you about that Marilyn Monroe. Like she's she's a sexy dummy. But like that. Don't be stupid. It's a satire film. Like, gotcha. You know, okay. like people I feel read a little too much bit better. Into it. I feel a little bit better mm-hmm. about that. I haven't watched it. So it's I, I really mean. it's really funny. Like, I think she does a really great job. She's got great like one liners in it. But, like, I could understand why she was like, I don't want to do this because people are going to think I'm dumb. Because people are dumb and they think that, like, the things that I play are me. And that's what was happening then. You know. Anyway, go watch Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Okay. I I don't know where you can watch it. I'll put it on my homework list. So, in December of 1953, the debut issue of Playboy came out. Dear listener, we have spoken about this a few times now. Yep. But if you're new here, can you guess who was on the cover? Hmm... Um, I don't know. Who? 
I'm just kidding. Monroe. <laughs> That's right, kids. Marilyn Monroe. And did Hugh Hefner get her consent or permission? Nope. No. We knew that already, though. Also, how much money did Marilyn get paid? Did you Nothing. say? Did you say zero dollars? I did. Zero dollars. Yes. The cover was from an event that she hosted, and the centerfold were those photos that Tom Kelly took years ago. So Playboy launched off the back of Marilyn Monroe and she got nothing but grief because obviously you got to blame the woman. Of course. She was trying to be seen as a more serious. She was trying to be seen as more serious in an industry that had pigeonholed her as a sex symbol. So the timing of this cemented that idea for many people. Yeah, especially the people at 20th Century Fox. Mm. She was making lots of money for them as one of their biggest stars, but her contract hadn't changed in years and it really didn't match the level of star that she was. She was paid a lot less than her co-stars. She was making back-to-back movies, and she had zero choice in her projects or the directors. This all came to a head when the studio gave her a script for The Girl in Pink Tights. She hated it. It was another sexy girl in a musical comedy role, and she refused to do it. And she stopped showing up to the studio. This started a war between Daryl F. Zanuck, a top executive at 20th Century Fox, and Marilyn. He didn't like her and didn't want the studio to sign her. And he reminded everyone of this every chance that he could get. Lovely. A rumor has it is that Marilyn Monroe shunned his advances and he wasn't used to that. Daryl was well known at the studio for his daily trysts with new actresses. Gross. Yeah. I mean, obviously that didn't stop for many years and honestly probably still hasn't stopped. I mean, sure. Like he apparently had like, he would take these women on like walks that would like end at his office at like 4 p.m every day like people knew about this and Marilyn was like mm, no not me so of course he hated her well in an article written by Thomas M. Pryor for the New York Times Pryor states Marilyn Monroe absent from 20th Century Fox since January 4th has failed again today to heed the studios come back to work edict as a result she was placed on salary suspension late this afternoon for the second time this month Her failure to report to the studio has delayed the start of filming on Pink Tights. The studio and Miss Monroe's agents have stated that she wanted right of script approval, a concession Fox is not willing to make. A studio source reported that plans to replace Miss Monroe unless she shows up to work by Wednesday are under consideration. So the studio expected Marilyn to come running back to them once they started talking about replacements, and she didn't. She held out and demanded to see a script. But when she didn't like what she read, she sent it back with the words trash written on it in black marker. (laughs) That's a boss move right there. (laughs) But the studio then suspended her. Uh, You know what? (laughs) Monroe made the most of the suspension. She and DiMaggio actually got married at City Hall in San Francisco after dating for two years. And then they flew over to Japan for a business trip that kind of turned into a honeymoon. There, Monroe performed a four-day-long USO show for the troops. The troops loved it. The good press got back to the studio, reminding everyone "Mm, just how popular Monroe Mm -hmm. was. But there was one role that Monroe was eager to play, and that was of the girl in The Seven-Year Itch. So the character's name is just the girl. Of course it is, because a man wrote it and didn't think she was worth a name. Yes. I'm sorry. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Is that not what this podcast is for? Me ranting about every man? Actually. 
Yes. So the film is based on a popular Broadway play that told the story of a faithful husband who becomes Mm -hmm. tempted by his beautiful new neighbor while his family goes away for the summer. Gag. (laughs) So the studio didn't budge and it wasn't the place for an actress to negotiate this way. How dare she try to advocate for herself? Yeah. Doesn't she know that she just does the things that we tell her to do? Yeah. The things that men tell her to Mm -hmm. do. But they compromised. If she agreed to be in the musical, there's no business like show business, there was a big chance that she'd be given the seven-year itch movie. I'm sorry. Just that phrasing alone, it's like, "Mm, I don't trust you. There's a big chance. No, Mm -hmm. I need a fucking guarantee. They don't do that. Ugh. Well, Monroe does There's No Business Like Show Business, and it's a hit, of course. Uh Uh-huh. After a very successful opening weekend, the press asked what the problem was between her and the studio, why it was happening, and wasn't she grateful? Monroe explained exactly why she had taken these steps during an interview for Edward R. Morrow's Person to Person show. She stated, It's not that I object to doing musicals and comedies. In fact, I rather enjoy them. But I'd like to do dramatic parts, too. 20th Century Fox, seeing that they had gold and, you know, maybe should treat her as such, came to an arrangement. In March of 1954, she got the promise of a new contract, a bonus of $100,000, and the starring role in the film adaptation of the Broadway success, Seven Year Itch. All right. At least she got it, girl. She got it. This Billy Wilder comedy was going to be her last sexy girl role. In the Seven Year Itch, Monroe starred as a woman who becomes the object of her married neighbor's sexual fantasies. Why did she want to play this sexy character after spending so much time trying to get away from these roles? Well, the character of the girl was an attractive woman who had an effect on other people, but not just men, but all the people around her. Marilyn was sexual icon. (laughs) Really? Honestly, she could be. So she was also really eager to work with the director, Billy Wilder. That the character of the girl may just appear to be another dumb blonde role. This role required a sheer force of Marilyn's talent and personality. She was able to give the character an innocence and bring another dimension in. Yeah, on the surface, it seemed like roles she had in the past, but this was a role that demanded real skill from her, and she was up to the challenge. The girl remains in control of the relationship. When the male lead hints at romance, she lets him know that romance is out of the question. But she does it with wit and kindness, and they still spend the weekend together as friends. But that's also because men can't just take no for an answer. Yeah, and I kind of feel like Marilyn's done that, like, in many relationships that we've spoken of before. Maybe we should add the seven-year itch as one of our big topics. (laughs) I've never seen it. I I would watch it. I I definitely read the play at one point. Yeah, I don't remember for what, though. Anyway. If you've ever seen this film, which you might not have... Like us. Like us. But you will know there's a very, very famous subway great scene. Oh, yeah. It's featuring Marilyn in a low, uh, white low-cut dress. They filmed it in New York City. Whoop, whoop. And thousands of people came out to see Marilyn, disrupting the production with howls and cheers. Like, like yours. So <laughs> like you just did. Whoop, whoop. No, Auga. Auga. <laughs> Wait, woo. Just like yelling. <laughs> so... All the skirt blowing put her husband, Joe DiMaggio, in a bad place. Wow. His wife was standing for hours, getting her skirt blown up, displaying her underwear and her crotch repeatedly. I mean, it's not like it was her freaking nude crotch. It wasn't like pubes hanging out or something. It was just like a bathing suit area. But the 50s. You know, like they were her walking away for 30 seconds was seen as like smut. So now her thighs and crotch on display... 
scandal. So Joe was known for many things. Baseball, his bromance with Frank Sinatra, and also his raging jealousy and control issues. Hmm. This was, all caps, his wife put out for everyone to see. So he stormed off, and there were rumors of a fight between the two of them the night of the filming. Good, because you know what? It's her body, her choice. That's right. I went there. Yes. And I completely agree with you, but also the 50s. I'm not excusing any of it. I just, it's a different time. I could understand why he would be like, "Mm, my wife. This was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. It was too much, and Monroe and DiMaggio divorced after only nine months of marriage. The public at the time looked at the situation from Joe's point of view. Of course they did. Mm -hmm. Women were expected to give up their careers when they got married. Not only did Monroe not do that, she flaunted hers, wearing less and less clothing in every role, showing not only disrespect to herself, but to her husband. Oh, I'm sorry. That was just my eyes rolling so hard that they fucking exploded. I mean, we're going to circle back to this relationship later, but like that, that part I find gross. Yeah. Like if you want to be like, I want my wife to like not be naked in front of people. Okay, maybe. But for the whole world to also agree with you and blame her. Fuck you. Like, that's not cool. Yeah. Well, there were rumors that their marriage included domestic violence and verbal abuse. And we just want to note that in her divorce filing, Monroe actually accused DiMaggio of, quote, mental cruelty. Speaking of mental cruelty, while Marilyn was reeling from the divorce, others were making money. Reporters, the studio, fans, they were all obsessed with this marriage and Marilyn herself. Living in L.A. just made it worse. Everyone that she encountered was eager to sell her story to the press, no matter how mundane the interaction. People who she was close to in her youth also saw dollar signs. Her ex-sister-in-law and ex-roommate and her ex-sister-in-law and an ex-roommate both wrote books on the experience of knowing Marilyn when she was Norma Jean. Her first ex-husband also went to the press after the divorce from Joe DiMaggio. I guess to like compare notes or whatever. So reporters are hounding her. She's going through it after this divorce. But at least things are working at 20th Century Fox. She just did her last sexy girl role. That might have like low-key cost her her marriage. You know what? That's probably a good thing. Like, yeah, right? If you're going to be that way. Mm, yeah, I'm like out. at least I know now before I do something that you would consider even more scandalous. Exactly. She's on to more in-depth roles at this point. She's got a list of characters she wants to play. And 20th Century Fox starts to backpedal on the deal, so she leaves. Yep. Marilyn Monroe leaves Hollywood and 20th Century Fox. And this was a huge deal. It was unheard of. As far as Hollywood was concerned, Marilyn should have been happy to take anything that they gave her. She relocated to the East Coast for a bit to hatch a plan. With the financial backing and moral support of her friend and photographer, Milton Green, she founded Marilyn Monroe Productions. Marilyn explained that the purpose of this company was to expand her reach by producing her own films. Marilyn became the first woman since Mary Pickford to start her own production company. But Fox wasn't just going to sit down and be impressed. They sued her. They flooded the tabloids with bad faith articles claiming that Marilyn was a fading star and that she wasn't needed anyway. Meanwhile, Monroe's in New York working on herself. She's jogging in Central Park. She's taking acting classes at the actor's studio. She's immersing herself in New York City culture. She's at the Met, taking in shows on Broadway, attending dinners with Truman Capote and James Joyce. Monroe started as a bit of a novelty, but she was there to learn and grow, and people started to take notice. She delivered a stunning performance as a lead in Anna Christie, a play in four acts by Eugene O'Neill. 
She was the talk of the town, and honestly, it had nothing to do with her looks this time. Around this time, things started to heat up with Marilyn and the playwright Arthur Miller. The two had met years before, and they started writing letters back and forth. By June 1956, Miller had left his wife. So we don't know how much these letters had influenced that divorce, but the romance became public. Miller was known for Death of a Salesman and All My Sons. He was also considered a member of the Communist Party by the House Un-American Activities Committee. Good Lord. Fucking America. Yeah, there's always a committee for something. And I like it's the Un-American Activities. (laughs) So quick history lesson. This was actually a part of the Red Scare. And the Red Scare was hysteria over the perceived threat of by communists in the U.S. during the Cold War. The Un-American Activities Committee would bring in people and question them, only letting them go after they named others. Miller was named, but refused to fall for their bullying. This led to the FBI opening up a file on everyone in his life, including Monroe. Miller likened the experience to a witch hunt, which led him to write the play, The Crucible. That's my favorite play, like, ever. All right. And I've had this thing for a while, like, you know how people leave, like, books on, like, stoops? Yeah. There's always a copy of The Crucible. So whenever I see it, I pick one up. So I have, like, four copies. (laughs) All right, all right. But anyway, back to Marilyn. So after months of bad-mouthing Marilyn, 20th Century Fox reached out with a deal, and it was a good one. It included a new seven-year contract. Fox would pay her $400,000 to make four films. She got final approval of her own projects, directors, and cinematographers. She would also be free to make one film with Marilyn Monroe Productions for each completed film with Fox. So I know you don't really get this joke, but Marilyn Monroe pulled up Michael Scott Paper Company. So I'm going to explain the office to you for a hot second. <laughs> okay. So Michael Scott leaves Dunder Mifflin Paper Company because, like, they won't, like, give him a raise or something. They don't remember exactly what. So he leaves and he starts this new company and he makes, like, a few great deals, but he doesn't really have the money to, like, sustain it. Okay. But Dunder Mifflin doesn't know that. So they make a so they make a deal with him to like buy his business back. Okay. So he gets his job back, he gets a promotion, and like the people who left with him also get like a promotion. Gotcha. So it's like she sold herself with this big new deal, but like didn't super have the money to like sustain it. But it scared them enough. It into- scared them enough to be like, hey, why don't we give you a new deal? Gotcha. Michael Scott Paper Company. There we go. Monroe's first film with the new contract was Bus Stop in 1956. She chose the makeup and wardrobe, making them simple to focus on the story and the acting. She learned an Ozark accent. What's that sound like? I don't know. Watch the show Ozark. Maybe it's on there. It's got Jason Bateman, right? Yeah. Maybe. And Laura Linney. I don't know who she is. Uh I have her face in my head. Yeah. But I like Jason Bateman. Maybe. Maybe. You don't like Jason Sudeikis, but Jason Bateman. Yes. Every fucking time. (laughs) I didn't even bring it up this time. Sometimes it's you. Sometimes it's me. It's always you. It's not. Anyway, the press and critics loved it. Monroe's performance was hailed as the finest of her career. Even more good news came in the form of a wedding. On June 29th, Monroe and Miller were married at the Westchester County Courthouse in White Plains, New York. Marilyn actually converted to Judaism for Miller. The press were caught off guard because Miller was this really smart writer and an intellectual. Oh, God. And Marilyn was a sex symbol from Hollywood. How could the marriage ever work? 
Marilyn was still fighting so hard to be taken seriously, even though she just proved her acting chops in New York, negotiated this amazing deal where she was in control, and yet people still underestimated her. Because she had a vagina. Basically. Some of these people were Laurence Olivier. Okay, one of those people was yeah. Laurence Olivier. I don't know if we're supposed to call him sir or not, but he's uh, a psh. dick to her, so I don't care. <laughs> In 1957, the two started filming Marilyn Monroe Productions' first independent production, The Prince and the Showgirl, in England. Monroe purchased the script for Marilyn Monroe Productions, and Lawrence kind of came with it because, well, he'd played the character on Broadway. The production was rocky as the two didn't get along. Olivier was overheard undermining Monroe's acting technique, saying things like, All you have to do is be sexy. He hated her acting coach, Paula Strasberg, and was rude to her most days. He also kept comparing Marilyn to Vivian Lee, who had played the role in the stage adaptation. There wasn't much to be done at this point, so Marilyn took the petty route, which I loved. Um, and, in reta- <laughs> and in retaliation, she just became uncooperative. She deliberately arrived late, saying that if you don't respect your artist, they can't work well. Mm-hmm. Part of it was spite. Part of it was preparation. Since she wasn't just wiggling anymore and real acting was hard work. Marilyn was up late most nights with her coach going over lines. This left very little time for sleep, but her doctor gave her a prescription that would help her get better sleep. And if she was groggy when she woke up, she would just take another pill to help keep her awake. See, there's a fine balance. How could there be a problem with this line of treatment? (laughs) Sarcasm in my voice. (laughs) Yeah, well, aside from the issue sleeping, Monroe was suffering from various illnesses, and she'd also had a miscarriage during filming. Monroe and Miller would miscarry a total of three times in the summer of 1957, and her final pregnancy was during the filming of Some Like It Hot in 1958. Due to the miscarriages and the depression around them, her acting suffered. Monroe almost didn't take the role of Sugar Cane in Some Like It Hot, considering it another dumb blonde role. But she accepted it due to Miller's encouragement and the offer of 10% of the film's profits on top of her standard pay. So this production was riddled with retakes and forgotten lines. Her co-star, Tony Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis's dad, said that Marilyn had gone funny when they were filming the movie, adding her mind was all over the place. She had lost confidence. Yikes. Her confidence was so rattled by disagreements between herself and the director, Billy Wilder. They had worked together in the past on Seven Year Itch, but now they battled over how Marilyn would play this role. He allegedly would become angry when she asked to alter many of the scenes. Now, interactions like this caused Monroe to become flustered, making her stage fright worse. However, in the end, Wilder was happy with Monroe's performance and the film was actually a hit. Monroe received further recognition by winning a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Comedy. After the release of Some Like It Hot, Marilyn took a hiatus to rest and work on her marriage, as there were rumors of affairs on both sides. Monroe and Miller worked it out enough to collaborate on the beginnings of a film project, The Misfits. It was an American Western. Miller had written it to give Marilyn a dramatic role. However, he took some elements of her real life without asking her. Yikes. Not cool. Marilyn was hospitalized for about a week due to ongoing substance abuse. She was taking prescription medication. You know that method that I was talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as it worked less and less, she added alcohol. A plus move. Yes. Uh, not wise, but like the the 50s? I don't know. Like, I feel like we're making too many excuses for the I 50s. Know. I think I think there was just... But a, yeah. Was a different time people weren't wise? People are still not wise. Yeah. They're fucking idiots. <laughs> so this all caused tension. And midway through filming... 
in nope <clears throat> this all caused a lot of tension and midway through filming in the nevada desert marilyn and miller's marriage was effectively over he actually started seeing a crew member before the film had even wrapped their plans to divorce were announced november 11th 1960 so we can't even blame the 50s the misfits was a theatrical disappointment her divorce from miller was finalized and monroe was alone and in a bad way she had some health issues a gallbladder surgery requiring more pain meds and a stay at a Manhattan psychiatric hospital. She stayed at the Payne Whitney Psychiatric Clinic on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. There are many sources that are split on whether she went in on her own or if she was forced by the studio. Either way, after her release from the facility, Monroe penned the thoughts of what was her most harrowing life experience. In a series of letters to her psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson, Monroe detailed the experience. She said, There was no empathy at Payne Whitney. It had a very bad effect. They put me in a cell. I mean, cement blocks and all. I felt like I was in some kind of prison for a crime I hadn't committed. The inhumanity there I found archaic. She was only released after her ex-husband Joe DiMaggio demanded it. The staff objected, but complied. I mean, like, isn't that, like, what people fear the most about, like, reaching out for help when they need it? Like, you're going to be treated like a criminal. So, like, why would I go reach for help if you're just going to lock me away and not help me with my problems? True enough. And she had seen it happen to her mom. So I'm surprised that she even reached out. You know, like, I think, like, the alcohol and the pills were like, I can fix this on my own. Like, this is how I can cope. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes, right? Um, By the summer of 1962, things were calm again. She was about to start shooting a film. She bought a house in L.A. I wonder how much it was. Um, 12,000. In, in 1962? Yeah, we're, we're just upping it by 2,000. the inflation? Okay. <laughs> so she bought that new house, and she was asked to perform at a major Democratic fundraiser to honor President John F. Kennedy. It was in New York City at Madison Square Garden on May 19th. Yeah. So she wore a very revealing glittery dress, and she was so nervous that she got too drunk. She ended up crooning happy birthday, and it was so sexy that the press determined that they must be sleeping together. Obviously. Yes. There were lots of rumors, but honestly, very little evidence of an affair. Jerry Blaine, a former Secret Service agent in the Kennedy detail, told People that he was with JFK during two known encounters the president had with Monroe. At the birthday party, quote, he thanked her for singing, but they weren't alone. That's what Blaine says. And he added Blaine, that... Blaine, that's not a name. That's an appliance. <laughs> Wait, what movie is that a reference to? It's pretty in pink. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Blaine added that he never saw any evidence of an affair, but said, I don't know what happened behind closed doors. So lots of people who were close to everyone involved had very public theories for which Kennedy brother was sleeping with Marilyn at the time. Bobby, John, or both. (laughs) Why not both? (laughs) But probably not either. (laughs) In my opinion, the real tea lies in the three-decade-long friendship John Kennedy had with his former school BFF, Lem Billings. The man had a room in the White House, and an affair with a woman is bad press, but an affair with a man would have definitely cost him the presidency at that time. Ooh. So, you know, blame it on Marilyn. You can't talk about, you know... Yeah, always blame it on Your buddy down the hall that may or may not have been climbing into your sheets. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, while Marilyn was probably not sleeping with Kennedy, she was struggling at work. The drinking and the pills had taken over, putting her health on a decline. She was late with colds, sinusitis, and the flu. She was on sick leave more than she was on set. 
20th Century Fox decided to cut their losses and fired Monroe and sued her for money and time lost. She was replaced, but her co-star Dean Martin refused to make a film with anyone other than Monroe. Fox shut down the movie and sued him, too. So I'm going to interject really quick. Um, you could see, like, I forgot the documentary I watched, but I'll, I'll link it on, like, the Instagram or something. Um, they show clips from this where she's, like, really struggling. And Dean Martin is so sweet. Like, he's like, you'll get it next time. Don't worry. Like, don't worry. We'll take it. We'll do it again. Like, he's really sweet. And he's, like, really trying to help her out. So I could see why he was like, yeah, I'm not doing this movie with anybody but her. Like, he seems like a real G. Like, All I right. like him. All yeah. right. Well, Fox, not so much. They were pissed. Yeah. And once again, they started a smear campaign against Monroe. And this time they were using her mental health against her. Boo. So trying to win back favor, Marilyn did a ton of press. Interviews for magazines and radio shows and so many photo shoots. By this time, the press had very little respect for Monroe and whatever sold papers led. The New York Mirror had the best-selling headline on the morning of August 6, 1962. Monroe kills self, fout nude in bed, hand on phone, took 40 pills. Ew. Yeah, That's just like in- worse than a New York Post headline. <laughs> yes. Somehow. Ugh. Her housekeeper, who was staying overnight, saw light from under Monroe's bedroom door, but she got no response when she knocked. So she called Monroe's psychiatrist, who climbed through a window to find Monroe dead in her bed. The toxicology report showed that the cause of death was acute barbiturate poisoning. An accidental poisoning was ruled out due to the amount of drugs found in her system. Monroe was only 36 years old when she died. So let's like get into a little bit of of the truth behind things with Marilyn. Monroe, in fact, was a really talented actress. She'd worked so hard to become one from acting lessons to private coaches. She was always working to perfect her craft. However, she was constantly plagued by self-doubt. She didn't have a lot of faith in her own abilities. Because of her looks, the studio didn't expect much. They just needed her to be sexy and desirable. They underestimated her drive, but she underestimated her own talent. Uh, honestly, many people confuse Monroe's sexy characters for her real personality because, you know, nothing like confusing a character for an actor. Mm-hmm. When they met her, they expected to be able to flirt with her and be seduced by her. And when this didn't happen or she rejected their advances, uh, did they cut their losses and tell the public that Monroe turned them down? No, of course not. How many women have told the guy no just to hear the same dude call her a slut? Ladies, don't all stand up at once. We wouldn't want the earth to tilt off its fucking axis. (laughs) Most of the men she spent time with have alluded to sleeping with her. During this time, she was the hottest actress. And I mean hot in every way that you could mean hot. Her name and her sexuality was used for clout back when her career was first starting. 20th Century Fox executive Joseph M. Skank and her mentor Johnny Hyde both claimed to have had more than just a mentor-mentee relationship. But according to Monroe's journals, sex was never even an option. So the internet will tell you that Marilyn slept with every man that she ever met to gain traction in Hollywood. She didn't have a relationship with her father, so any older man who took any interest in her must have seemed really kind. Oh my god, Freudian bullshit. Yeah. 
<laughs> so if the relationship with Joseph was a sexual one, she didn't really get much out of it. She got one film and a very short-lived contract with Columbia. <laughs> was it worth it? Because he was in his 60s. Well, if she didn't actually sleep with him. Then... And I don't think she did. I think if she did sleep with him, it would have at least been a longer contract. I think if there was any truth to her sleeping with everyone in Hollywood, she would have gotten the roles that she wanted much quicker. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have had to be this thing where she had to go create her own production company. Yeah. So like, I don't really believe the lies. Yeah, and when it came to Boys Will Be Boys, Monroe wasn't having it, and she spoke out about the sexual harassment early in her career. The casting couch was very much a thing, you know, where aspiring starlets were forced to perform sexual favors. She spoke about how things in Hollywood were unfairly geared towards the satisfaction of men. We do that all the time. Yeah, still. (laughs) Very little has changed. It's 100 years. So back then, sexual harassment didn't really have a name yet. It was just considered part of the job when it came to being an actress. In the book by Michelle Morgan titled The Girl, Morgan quotes, Marilyn had said that she never fell for it. She had walked out of various interviews and situations that that she deemed inappropriate. In the mid-1950s, Monroe spoke out about being harassed by an executive whom she did not name. This caused her to be labeled as difficult to work with. I mean, yeah, I guess you're dif- it's difficult to harass someone who doesn't want to be harassed and keeps trying to leave whenever you get rapey. I mean, oh. while Marilyn smartly didn't give a name, she was very vocal about not letting herself be victimized. She had been victimized as a child and she wasn't going to let it happen again. She spoke out about it. And as a result, she inspired other people to speak out, too. The only thing she didn't really speak about were her health problems. She struggled not only with her own mental health, but her mother's. As we mentioned earlier, her mother was institutionalized after being diagnosed with depression and schizophrenia. Further back in her family tree, Marilyn's grandmother struggled with postpartum depression and was institutionalized with a mental illness. I'm not. Yes. But like also, didn't they just institutionalize any woman who was like, meh? Yeah. I mean, that was... (laughs) I mean, how old was her grandma? Like, that was probably like the 30s. Maybe even earlier. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, are you sad about things? Women don't get sad about things because you've got sweet blood. So you must need to go to the hospital. You burn the eggs. Let's put you in an institution. Yeah. Fucking hell. But her great grandfather also died by suicide. So there might have been something within her family that didn't get diagnosed like that was just like you were weird. You had the blues, you know, and I think that's what they used to call them. So today, many modern psychologists believe that Marilyn Monroe suffered from borderline personality disorder. The symptoms which include identity issues, addictive behavior, suicidal ideology, fear of abandonment, unstable relationships, people pleasing, and extreme emotional mood swings. You can kind of see all of those symptoms dis- displayed throughout her life and in this episode. Her childhood was filled with abandonment, and under the glam, fame, and doctor's orders, Marilyn's adulthood became one filled with drug addiction. If you pair her miscarriages that could have been linked to her endometriosis with her need to people-please, you could see why her marriages might have failed. Now, we're definitely not saying it was her Mm -mm. fault. Definitely not. But both of her husbands wanted children, and she may have felt the pressure to provide them, which might have led her to feel like she failed them. She might have also felt that she failed Joe DiMaggio. He was looking for a modest domestic housewife. Back then, that was like how it was. When a woman got married, she quit working. And I mean, not to sound like a terrible feminist, but I could kind of get behind this. Like, I just want to make cookies and play with my dog all day. But it's not it's not happening for me. 
It wasn't happening for Marilyn either for yeah, other reasons. Yeah, I mean, she didn't want that. She and didn't want that. It's kind of like me. Like, Sean can be the stay-at-home. He mm-hmm. can be my house husband. I'm fine with that. But no, thank you. I need to be out and about. But it doesn't matter which path you choose. It mm-hmm. matters whether you get to choose it or you're forced into it. Exactly. And I think with Marilyn, like, she wanted to – she chose it. And that's the life that she wanted. She wanted to be an actress. But I feel like part of her must have been like, well, like this guy's I love him and like he wants me here, but I have dreams and goals. I'm like, I'm disappointing him, but I'm making myself happy. Mm hmm. A biography about DiMaggio states that he had insisted Monroe must remain fully clothed at all times. As early as their honeymoon, he felt like he was losing control of her. Blech. She is a person. You don't get to control her. Ugh. Anyway. Monroe later said that exposing my legs and thighs, even my crotch in the seven year itch, that was the last straw. The two remained friends and he was the one who got her out of the psych ward. She reached out to Joe often over the years. In his memoirs, he's quoted saying, I'll go to my grave regretting and blaming myself for what happened to her. He never remarried and he arranged to have roses delivered to Monroe's grave three times a week for 20 years. DiMaggio died on August 9th, 2000. According to his lawyers, his final words were, I'll finally get to see Marilyn again. So, like, I want to be like, oh, that's, like, really sweet. But also, he had, like, weird control issues. Yeah. So, do you think, this is completely, like, not knowing anything about Joe DiMaggio, just knowing, like, this much. Do you think he was like, fuck, man, I regret being so controlling because she was great and things could have been better? Or do you think he's like, man, I should have been more controlling so that she couldn't have gone and do that, done those things? I don't want to speculate, but yeah. he's a Yankee. I'm just kidding. I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't like the Yankees. <gasps> I don't care. <laughs> I just got so upset. And I'm like, I don't, I don't. What's Eddie. a baseball? I don't care enough, really. Mm-hmm. With her third husband, Arthur Miller, she mostly felt betrayal in their marriage. We know this because her journals were sold and her writings, poetries, and correspondence all speak to a fear of displeasing others, especially Miller. Monroe was devastated when she came across a journal entry of Miller's in which he confessed to being disappointed with his wife and embarrassed by her in front of his intellectual friends. I'm just rolling my eyes so hard. (laughs) Miller had no interest in going to Monroe's funeral. He felt as though her service would be a circus of paparazzi and the press filled with people he believed wronged her. I mean, I kind of get that. Yes. He said, instead of jetting from New York to the funeral to get my picture taken, I decided to stay home and let the public mourners finish the mockery. He wrote this uh, in a newspaper called The Independent. And he followed this with, not that everyone there will be false, but enough. Most of them there destroyed her, ladies and gentlemen. So, like, yes, but I also feel kind of like glass houses. Like, I feel like he's projecting a little bit. It seems like he used her a bit, not in the same length as, like, the press did, but he used her history and even things that she had said in the script for The Misfits. After her death, he used her as a creative inspiration. Who knows if he was just a man taking advantage of a tragedy or if it was, like, an homage to a woman that he once loved. But in any case, Miller reportedly referenced Monroe in two of his plays, After the Fall and Finishing the Picture. Miller wasn't the only one to use Monroe for creative inspiration. So many books have been written about Marilyn. It seemed that everyone had a story to sell. Some of these people include Marilyn's final housekeeper, who wrote Marilyn the last months. 
Marilyn and Me, which was written by Susan Strasberg, her acting coach's daughter, Marilyn's makeup artist, her final psychiatrist, and his son. They both have separate books. Gross. In 2009, Marilyn pops up in Tony Curtis's book, The Making of Some Like It Hot, My Memories of Marilyn Monroe and the Classic American Movie. In this book, he alleges that the two had an affair. It's unclear of how true this is, since anyone who could speak it to fact or fiction died within the years before this book was released, which I find convenient. Yeah. He wasn't the only one to make claims of a relationship. In My Week with Marilyn by Colin Clark, Clark worked his first job on the set of The Prince and the Showgirl. The book and later the film, starring Michelle Williams, the white one, described his close but never consummated love affair. And that's a quote. Close but never consummated love affair. Meaning, I wanted to get with her, but I didn't. Yeah. That he had with Marilyn Monroe. In an article titled, My Week with Marilyn, Fact or Self-Serving Fiction, a writer for The Guardian, Alex Von Tuzzleman, gave this book slash film a history grade of a C-, stating, in fact, it's creepy. Disquietingly, the film doesn't question Clark's version of events. Though a lot of it can't be verified and sounds like self-serving fantasy. For all his talk about wanting to protect Monroe, it isn't protecting her to sell your story twice when she's dead and can't answer back. Yeah, some books do take a kinder angle. Gloria Steinem, for one, wrote her book Marilyn, Norma Jean, as an apology for judging Monroe harshly. What a smart idea. Somebody should do a podcast like that. Well, this book also served as a correction to the salacious and largely ridiculed 1973 Monroe biography by Norman Mailer, in which he hypothesizes that the star had been murdered by the U.S. government because of her alleged affair with Robert Kennedy. Now, Mailer admitted the same year in 60 Minutes that the book was a cash grab, but you can't unring a bell. The conspiracy theory stuck. Yeah, like people still believe that to this day. People believe a lot of bullshit, okay? Like, let's not talk about what people believe because it will just make me angry. In Marilyn Monroe, the biography, Donald Spoto quotes Marilyn's close friend, Ugh, air quotes, air quotes, and masseuse, Ralph Roberts, who spoke about the most plausible night for an affair between JFK and Marilyn. Oh, if it did happen, it would have happened this night, blah, yes. blah, blah. It would have been on March 24th, 1962. Both Monroe and Kennedy were have thought to have been at Bing Crosby's home for a party. Ralph claims that while on the phone with Marilyn that weekend, he heard what sounded like Kennedy's voice. Monroe had called to ask for professional massage advice. Kennedy famously had a bad back. Yep. I, I don't think I can roll my eyes any harder. But the, do you hear how that sounds? Yeah. Like that evidence is super weak. Like, I also think that it's really important to know that Ralph Roberts, the masseuse, also wrote a book about Marilyn. Just, like, let that sink in. Just saying. Also, like, who calls someone for, like, professional massage advice? And you think you heard a Kennedy in the background? It's just, it's very weak evidence. And that's, like, mostly what fuels these rumors. Yeah. And it, it grinds my gears and it makes me really mad. Fair enough. It seems like no other star has ever inspired such a wide range of emotion, ranging from lust to pity, from envy to remorse. Monroe makes different people feel different things. 
She was the most photographed person of the 20th century, and the American Film Institute has named her the sixth greatest female screen legend in American film history. The Smithsonian Institution has included her on their list of 100 most significant Americans of all time. I'm also on that list. Totally. I'm not. <laughs> and both Variety Variety and VH1 have placed her in the top 10s on their rankings of greatest pop culture icons of the 20th century. Marilyn is the epitome of Hollywood. For all its glitter, there is a sad, dark side of it. Monroe inspires generations of not only actresses, but everyday women. Monroe started the wave of women using their sexuality as tools in films. Her body got your curiosity, but her mind and kindness got your attention. As journalist Jill Layton points out, writing for Hello Giggles, a popular website that promotes a positive community for women, there was so much more to Marilyn than what she represented. She was a driven career woman with a passion for literature who grappled with her own insecurities and overcame major hurdles at a time when sexism in Hollywood was at its height. Monroe was also a published poet, modern art lover, and avid reader of complex literature. She had a library of over 400 books. Bitch, I got more than that. No, I'm just kidding. Do you? (laughs) Probably. As I start counting. When we did our Marie Kondo thing, we got rid of 250 books, and I think it left us with like... I think it left us with over 400 at that point. So wow. we're probably back over 500. We have a lot of books. We have a problem. Pause this while I count. No. <laughs> <laughs> Marilyn was like really important. She broke the mold and challenged the dictator-like structure of the Hollywood studios. Marilyn Monroe Productions stood up to the studios and showed people that they could direct their own careers. The studio needed actors, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Marilyn became the second woman in U.S. history to own her own production company. That's huge. Yeah. Male stars of the time, like Frank Sinatra and Gary Cooper, followed Monroe's lead, forming their own small companies and buying scripts for things they actually wanted to work on, cutting into the power of the studios. Marilyn has also been amused to many. Hundreds of books have been written about Monroe. We've talked about some of them. Um, she's been the subject of films, plays, operas, and songs. She has influenced artists and entertainers such as Andy Warhol, Elton John, and Madonna. Her name still has selling power. Warhol's Marilyn just recently sold at auction for $195 million. That's so much money. That's yeah. so much money. That's insane. Her image and name have been licensed for hundreds of products, and she's been featured in advertising campaigns for Max Factor, Coca-Cola, Chanel, Sexy Hair, Mercedes-Benz, Absolute Vodka, and Mont Blanc. Yes, pens. Mont Blanc has a Muse Maryland special edition ballpoint pen that retails for only $845. A fucking ballpoint pen? It's not even like... Mm Mm-mm. But, like, my birthday is coming up, so if you could just grab that for me, that'd be great. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Actually, I don't, if anyone has it, I don't know if we know anyone who has it, but I just, like, want to write with it. I want to see, is it really It's a ballpoint pen. It's an $845 pen. It must have some kind of special feature. It must be gold. It's not. It's, like, red. I'll I'll post a picture of it on the Instagram. Anyway. Monroe's life and death can be used to spread caution, too. The lack of private life meant everything was for everyone. Her divorces, her mental status, even her miscarriages took place in full view of mass media. The story and photos of her feed into consumer culture. I think this is why she invoked so many emotions. Like, it feels like she was ours because, like, there was no privacy or she wasn't allowed to have any privacy. When something is part of everyday life, you're bound to have an opinion on it. 
Like, sadly, Marilyn wouldn't be the last person to be exploited by the media. And we've already covered a few people like that. Whitney Houston, Amy Winehouse, the sharing of celebrities' personal issues, whether it be relationship troubles or addiction, it shows the evasive relationships celebrities have with the public and their fans. There are some that would say this is just the price of fame. Those people suck. Yeah, we strongly disagree. Yes. Being an actor is a job. You should be able to go home and have a day off. Monroe often dedicated a lot of time to her craft and wanted to focus on her projects. She wasn't always looking to cater to fame or fans. At the end of the day, celebrities are people, just like we are, and they deserve a reprieve from the constant overreachings into their personal life. Offering the kindness of privacy might have changed the trajectory of Marilyn's life, but sadly, we'll never know. Final thoughts, takeaways. What do you got? I think my, my takeaway is just to to be kind. Like, Marilyn let people in and they trashed her. It seems like she didn't have any real friends towards the end and all the fake ones were just trying to sell her out for pennies. And she didn't deserve that. Like, she was a very talented actress. She was a very kind person. And a lot of that gets swept away in scandal. Like, yeah. when you Google her name, like, one of the first things that comes up is, you know, her nude photos and this, like, alleged relationship with the president. And... Mm-hmm. She was so much more than that. Yeah. And I think people need to dig a little bit deeper and we should try to not rewrite history, but like focus on things that actually mattered. Like I didn't know that she had her own production company and I considered myself a really big fan of Marilyn. Yeah. And I didn't even know that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. All of that. I think also for me, it's standing strong in your convictions, right? Monroe mm-hmm. did her best to take control of her own life in a situation that really wasn't conducive to that. Mm-hmm. She was determined to do things her own way as often as possible. But, you know, also, I'm glad she didn't live in a world of social media. Oh, my God. It would have been so much worse. Imagine that. Like, Mm -hmm. that would have made things so much harder for her with the invasions of her privacy and all that. Like, Anyway, let's share with you a couple of resources and references if you want to know more yourself. Mm -hmm. One of them is Celebrities Don't Owe Us Their Lives on Parasocial Relationships by Erica Quinones. The Secret Career Genius of Marilyn Monroe by Elizabeth Winder. The Girl, Marilyn Monroe, The Seven-Year Itch, and the Birth of an Unlikely Feminist by Michelle Morgan. Marilyn Monroe by Charles Casillo. Fragments, Poems, Intimate Notes, Letters by Marilyn Monroe. And Marilyn Monroe by Barbara Leeming. I just like not to like dig on people, but like a lot of the titles for her books were not original. Like a lot of them were just her name. Which I feel like makes it hard to find. Like if you're looking for a specific book, you got to know the author. Because a lot of them were Marilyn or Marilyn Monroe or Monroe or Norma Jean and Marilyn. Like (laughs) get a little bit, you know, like dig a little bit deeper. Be creative. Be creative. You be creative and let us know what you think about this episode. (laughs) Is there anything that you wish we had mentioned or anything new that you learned in this week's episode? We love to hear about it. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rip Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We really enjoy your responses and feedback. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family, your gentlemen's, your blondes, and even some misfits. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. And while you're at it, be sure to click on the link in the show notes to get some Big Reputations merch. Take a picture of yourself with whatever you get and be sure to tag us in it. All right, 
let's wrap up. What quote do you have for us this week? So I have one from Marilyn. We should all start to live before we get too old. Ooh. Good one. And as always, believe women. <laughs> <laughs>